Uh, Good afternoon and welcome to Free to Be Faithful. I'm moderator Kip Allen. Free to Be Faithful is a religious liberty education and awareness program created by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and responds to increasing governmental incursions into religious life. People of faith and our institutions have come under increasing attack in recent years by secular sources. It's now been six months since a new administration took office in the nation's capital. One of the campaign promises made by now President Trump is that his administration would be friendlier to religious liberty than the past administration. But the president doesn't control the entire government. There's also the Congress and the Supreme Court. Now, what's happened in the past six months to give hope or concern to people of faith? Well, I pose these questions to longtime Washington Observer Tim Gigline of Focus on the Family on today is Free to Be Faithful. Tim, welcome to the program. Kip, thank you so much. It is always an honor to be with you. And it is to have you on the program as well. And I think a very appropriate uh, way to begin this program, since we're going to be assessing the last six months, is to note that this is the 40th anniversary of Focus on the Family, and uh, the organization was addressed by none other than Vice President Pence. What did he have to say? Well, it was an absolutely great day for Focus on the Family, and you're right, Kip. Thank you. We were... uh, uh, founded 40 years ago in Southern California by Dr. James Dobson, uh, as he likes to say, with 1.5 employees, uh, which means a, a half-time assistant uh, that he had. Uh, we are now, by God's grace, a little over 600 people, uh, and we are based in uh, Colorado Springs. And for us, marriage, family, parenting is the target but a very special emphasis in the pro-life uh, cause and religious liberty conscience, uh, as you led with uh, in this great program. And we were very honored two weeks ago in Colorado Springs. Uh, we had 1,500 uh, guests at Focus on the Family, and Vice President Pence, who's been a longtime uh, ally and friend of Focus on the Family, was our keynote speaker And he really talked at length, Kip, about the centrality of marriage, family, parenting, about the challenges that we're facing in the time that we're in, uh, the way Focus on the Family impacted his own uh, marriage and family for good. And, you know, back to where we started, uh, you know, he was uh, very upfront about the challenges that we face in the pro-life movement and reiterated the very strong support for religious liberty and conscience rights and life issues uh, among the new uh, president and, and vice presidential administration. So it was incredibly encouraging. Uh, and of course, so we at Focus, as with the LCMS, uh, nonpartisan, everybody's welcome, Republicans, Democrats, none of the above, all of the above. Uh, you know, it's about, it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, 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 and principally, in the public policy realm, we spend a lot of time thinking about the attacks on religious liberty and conscience, and after the last eight years, those have been real issues. They really are, and I think we need to bear in mind that Martin Luther was very uh, upfront about the two about the two kingdom concept: there's the kingdom of the church and the kingdom of the world. And we have to interact in both of them. Uh, we've come under there's some criticism, I think, about uh, getting involved into the uh, secular world. But I think we have been commanded to do that. I think Jesus Himself really did with render unto Caesar. We have to. We are part of this world. We have to interact with it. One of the things I think we're happening how the world interacts with us is what we've just been seeing with the Obamacare situation in Congress. 
Now, what's happened there is apparently it's going to be staying in place, at least for a while. Congress could make up its mind what to do with this program. And uh, the program has been somewhat problematical for, uh, for Christians. How does, it, uh, how does it stand right now? How does it impact human life and religious liberty? What are we looking at? Well, I'm glad you asked. I attended a lunch today uh, with one of the senior advisors to the majority leader, uh, Mitch McConnell, in the U.S. Senate. And a good part of her presentation today uh, was told mathematics, uh, which is that in order to pass a repeal or a repeal and replace a legislative vehicle, uh, in the U.S. Senate you have to have 50 votes. Uh, presumably, uh, uh, Vice President Mike Pence, whom we mentioned a moment ago, uh, constitutionally is the president of the Senate, uh, and, uh, and, and as president of the Senate, uh, he would uh, vote uh, you know, to repeal and replace. But that means you cannot, in an otherwise fairly small Republican-dominated caucus, you cannot lose more than two votes uh, in, the, in the Republican Party. And clearly the Republicans had, had lost more than two votes. So I think basic mathematics says, as of today, uh, there will be no repeal and no replace of Obamacare. Uh, this is a rather astonishing and shocking uh, to people of both political parties, because for the last uh, almost nine years, it's been a categorical uh, promise and pledge of the uh, grand old party uh, that upon uh, you know winning, if that were to be the case, they would repeal and replace Obamacare. That has not happened, and a lot of people are not very happy about that. What are some of the specific problems that we as Christians have at the Obamacare program? The number one problem we have, Kip, uh, is twofold. I mean, it, in other words, it's the same problem, but it evidences itself twice in the same bill. The first problem we have is that not since Roe against Wade have we ever had a single piece of legislation that has done more uh, to expand abortion than Obamacare. Uh, in Obamacare, there were three ways that, uh, that, that abortion was expanded. Uh, the first and most obvious way uh, is that uh, it increased uh, the funding for Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is the number one provider of abortions in America. The second way that Obamacare uh, you know, did this in the pro-life realm is that it indirectly funded uh, you know, uh, what are called HSAs, which is a fancy way of saying a special uh, insurance federal subsidy. Uh, so taxpayers, not directly but indirectly, were subsidizing abortion. And the third way uh, is that uh, by giving some states leeway with regard to how it spent Medicaid funding, it was possible under that funding formula uh, for states to uh, either directly or indirectly uh, fund abortion. So that was a major problem of Obamacare. And I'm very sorry to say that, as you said earlier, with repeal and replace uh, not going anywhere, uh, unfortunately, uh, those mechanisms are still in place. The second major concern, and it's, 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 it's connected to the pro-life issue, uh, is that uh, with, with mandates and, uh, and, and particular crackdowns, as it were, uh, in the legislative architecture of Obamacare, uh, religious liberty and rights of conscience were called into question. Uh, I mean, how, how is it uh, that non-for-profit uh, paraministries uh, that offer uh, insurance to its, to its employees 
uh, should be mandated to be part of a program that, that, that subsidizes uh, things like abortion uh, or potentially other things uh, that are against uh, our conscience. Uh, you know, that, that, that's, the, that, that's the exact opposite of what the, of what the Constitution calls for. Uh, one of the major issues in America uh, today uh, is the major debates that we are having uh, in the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill about whether taxpayers should pay for or subsidize, for instance, uh, you know, transgender uh, reconstruction surgery. I really you know, wanted to uh, get into that issue as, yeah. as, as well. Uh, how do defense dollars being spent on, on transgender surgery contribute to the national defense? Is it buying weapons? Is it upgrading the training? Obviously, it's not. And what the, 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 the answer is it's not at any turn. The, the point of our military is our national security, uh, and when we find ourselves at war, uh, you know, the, the, the goal is to protect and defend uh, the United States from all enemies, you know, foreign and domestic. And because uh, we do have a volunteer military now, you know, rather than conscripts, uh, it, it's like with any other form of employment. You, you surrender certain rights when you go into it. Yes. And you know, if you're if you're transgender, you know, going into the military that there's there, there's potentially a problem. Uh, the other thing that really struck me about that was there was an amendment in the House of Representatives that would have uh, removed funding for this uh, surgery. Now the Democrats united voted against it, which was to be expected. Twenty-three Republicans also went with with the uh, Democrats on this, and because of that, the amendment failed. Why do these Republicans vote that way? In the era uh, of the legalization of a new definition of marriage, uh, where people of the same uh, sex can be married, that decision in the Supreme Court in June of 2015, you know, opened uh, all other possibilities in public policy. Um, you know, I, I, and I know you're asking specifically about the transgender policy which is absolutely central, but there are many other uh, cases and potential cases coming to the Supreme Court, those being argued in district and uh, federal courts, those being argued in state, uh, state Supreme Court uh, uh, cases, which all are emanations and as a result of the redefinition of marriage. And, And as the federal government has imposed a new definition of marriage on the country in public policy. There are any number of policymakers uh, in the Pentagon, uh, uh, you know, most notably, but in many other uh, places in Washington, D.C., who have taken the Obergefell, which is the name of the case that created a new class and definition of marriage, taking uh, the Obergefell example and, and, and widening the definition uh, of, of, of the term or the word sex, which is, uh, is it about, is sex, uh, you know, a biological uh, definition? Is it a sexual identity uh, definition? Uh, you know, may I say, Kip, these uh, ramifications of definitions of words legislatively and in the federal regulations have a huge impact in federal policy in the way that you're, uh, that you're discussing. Absolutely. Uh, now, on the other hand, <clears throat> excuse me. On the other hand, 
we've seen perhaps a change in uh, some of the judiciary uh, rulings. Uh, for example, we've, we just had the Trinity Lutheran case that came down yeah. in our favor. The Supreme Court has agreed to hear the case of Masterpiece Cake Shop, and they, uh, I believe the ADL has also just asked to link Arlene's floor, uh, flowers to that case as well. And of course, now we have uh, Mr. Gorsuch is now on the Supreme Court, and that uh, changes the balance, or at least restores the balance in the death of uh, Justice Scalia. And we've got another, what, three, four, three and a half years of this administration, and the justices are getting old. So there may be a chance to may even have a bigger impact on the Supreme Court. But is this uh, something where we might be able to finally see a little bit of a, of a, of a ray of sunshine? Absolutely. May I tell you, I'm a hopefulist to the core, and I think for all of the other criticism of what we call the Roberts Court, named for our Chief Justice of the United States, John Roberts, for all the other potential disappointments and criticism, uh, I mentioned the Obergefell case a moment ago, overwhelmingly, this court has been a pro-religious liberty court, uh, starting with the uh, Lutheran Hosanna Tabor case a very important case out of Michigan, uh, the Greece, New York. That's, a, that's the name of a town in New York, and, uh, and the issue of prayer in that town. Uh, you mentioned the, the, the Trinity case, the Trinity Lutheran case, very important case. Of course, the Hobby Lobby case, the Little Sisters of the Poor case. And now we have Master Peaks Cakes. For those who don't know, uh, Master Peaks Cakes is a, uh, a shop owned by uh, a baker in Fort Collins, Colorado, Jack Phillips. Uh, he's a brother in Christ, and he considers uh, the God-given uh, gift of cake baking and uh, cake decorating and cake artistry uh, a gift from God. And he uh, spends weeks uh, designing and creating and painting with frosting these extraordinary cakes. And, uh, and as a brother in Christ, he considers uh, his, uh, his work as a cake artist an extension of his faith. And now he is being coerced uh, by the state of Colorado uh, to participate uh, in a homosexual wedding. And he has been told uh, that if he does not give in to that coercion, he will be penalized. Well, uh, that case is making its way to the Supreme Court. And may I tell you, Kip, uh, it is as or more important uh, than most of the uh, cases that we have just discussed, because this case, unlike the others, turns almost 100% on the question of can a state coerce a person against his most deeply held moral and religious principles, otherwise known as conscience, can a state coerce a person to participate uh, in this kind of, of, uh, of marriage? Uh, now, if the court does not rule in the uh, uh, favor of Jack Phillips and Masterpiece Cakes, this opens uh, uh, the legal door for a remarkable crackdown on our religious liberty. And, uh, you know, on this great program, you and I have discussed several of these cases. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, as one of the vice presidents of Focus on the Family, you know, I track and follow uh, the Supreme Court and the federal courts very closely. Uh, I'm not speaking out of turn by saying that the Masterpiece Cakes case in the next Supreme Court term is as or more important than any religious liberty case we have had at the court 
in the last 25 years. I think you're correct on that. And there are so many issues that are involved in this, not just whether or not the court can say that, gee, you know, you're, if when your religious uh, beliefs conflict with somebody else's b- uh, beliefs, you have to change. But it's beyond that is that uh, we're going uh, even beyond free speech. Now it is going into compelled speech. Exactly, exactly. And, and forgive me, you're the host and I'm the guest, so I don't mean to interrupt you, but that is absolutely uh, the, the inflection point of this case. Because if the government can coerce uh, somebody who decorates, creates, and, 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 and you know, paints wedding cakes, right? Uh, you know, this is his vocation and his livelihood. Uh, if a state can do that, why can a state not tell uh, you know, any other uh, institution, religious or non, that you must participate in said activity or we will uh, penalize you. Uh, you know, in other words, what is the line in that regard? And this is why all Christians, Lutherans and other Christians, need to pay very close attention to this case. There are real ramifications to that. Uh, I had a discussion just recently with uh, Pastor Craig Mueller, who is the Director of Ministry to the Armed Forces here at the LCMS. And there is a real concern in the Chaplain's Corps about that, uh, where they, what happens when the, uh, the faith of the, of the particular chaplain is in direct contradiction to certain Army regulations. For example, uh, one of the issues that came up right uh, recently was a gay pride uh, celebration on military bases. Well, were, are Christians allowed to say, no, I cannot do this? And that, that's a real issue in the armed forces right now. Of course it is. And back to transgenderism for a moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that, the, that your listeners are very well aware uh, that the United States military, uh, you know, is engaged, uh, you know, statutorily. In other words, it's mandated uh, that they have all kind of training sessions uh, for uh, our military men and women. And it is mandatory that they attend these training sessions. And these training sessions, you know, uh, essentially uh, teach a concept of human sexuality that is not uh, consistent with the Bible. Uh, and yet uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ in the military, you know, are compelled uh, and, uh, you know, to, to, to attend uh, these, uh, these sessions. And there are a lot of uh, active military, there are a lot of veterans, uh, you know, who understand the first principles and the reason that we have a military to begin with. And I believe rightfully they say, you know, that is inconsistent uh, as a man and woman of faith, uh, you know, with, with, with what they are supposed to do or compelled to do as a member of the military. And may I tell you, Kip, this gets very quickly into the question of conscience and religious liberty. Absolutely. And, you know, what else is the military for but to protect our way of life? It, yes. it, it's there to protect us, to live our lives the way that we wish to live them. And uh, we are under assault on that. But I think maybe hopefully we, we're, we may be starting to see a little bit of a change. And I wanted to ask you, as a longtime Washington observer, what is your feeling of the tone in in the uh, district out there? Are we... Are they starting to suddenly realize that, gee, maybe uh, they're out of step with a certain portion of the country, uh, that maybe they'll have to change, or is, are they buckling down and saying, well, we're going to teach those yokels? Uh, I, I have to tell you, 
I uh, have been uh, around living in and working in Washington for almost 30 years. And I do not remember a time when there were more active, outspoken Christians <clears throat> serving uh, in the House and in the Senate. Uh, this is a high-water mark. We have lots and lots of friends and allies and compatriots, uh, you know, in the United States Congress. The same is true of the executive branch. The same is true of the judicial branch. You know, uh, when you live in a constitutional republic, uh, there's no guarantee uh, that you will, you know, almost always get uh, your way, meaning that you will almost always be satisfied with the direction of public policy. Uh, you know, we, we are not promised that. Uh, and, and, and in my view, uh, it's a healthy thing to be able to be a man or woman of faith, uh, living not in a theocracy, but in a constitutional republic. And going back to where you began, Kip, and this is why Martin Luther uh, and our Lutheran confessions and our Lutheran teaching is more timely and more relevant than ever, which is to say uh, that we are citizens of this great country, but we are ultimately citizens of heaven. And we are passing through. And that does not mean that we passively through. Uh, you know, we are to engage. We are to impact. Uh, you know, we are to debate uh, the great issues of our time. And we are to work uh, to serve our neighbor, uh, to serve God first, to serve other people first as fellow citizens. We as Lutherans take the concept of citizenship very seriously. We think of St. Paul in the book of Acts. St. Paul in the Book of Romans, actively engaging day upon day upon day uh, with the Roman Empire, the greatest empire the world had ever seen until that time, uh, with government officials to impact public policy. Uh, you know, St. Paul was not confused about who he served first, but we also are very clear in Scripture that St. Paul took his Roman citizenship very seriously. And I think... Uh... Anyone who's read the Book of Concord, uh, where the the Confession of Augsburg and and how that went, it was really a document to reassure the civil government at that time under uh, the Holy Roman Empire that uh, we recognize the civil authority as yeah. as religious people, as religious leaders. We have our duty to our God, of course, but we also recognize that government is established by God, and that we have an obligation to it. Absolutely right. And may I tell you, this is why, in the time that we live in, when it's so easy to be discouraged, when it's so easy to be despairing, you know, when it's so easy to pick up the newspapers or turn on the television uh, or, you know, open the Internet or whatever it is, and to feel a great sense, uh, you know, of, of hollowness and alienation, uh, a kind of national soullessness at certain turns. It's so easy for us as Christians to throw up our hands to say, you know, uh, you know, there, there, there are no good men, there are no good women in public life. So I'm, you know, I'm just uh, tuning out, uh, and I'm stepping out of the public square. I'm getting out of the public arena, uh, you know. And I, I, I believe that that is inconsistent uh, with our theology, and it's inconsistent with the great Lutheran tradition. Here we are in the 500th year of the Reformation. Say what you want about Martin Luther. This is a man who engaged his country, culture, and civilization 
by the proverbial lapels every single day and did everything he could in his time, uh, you know, not to change the world, uh, even though he ended up changing the world, but he did everything he could to impact for Christ uh, in the public arena uh, and, 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 you know, and to conform uh, public policy uh, to, in a way that was consistent with all that we believe. That, you know, Kip, that is a monumental achievement. Truly it was. He was one of the giants of the era, and it still yeah. is today. And the impact that Martin Luther has had on the world is very difficult to, to overstate. Uh, Tim, we're coming into our closing minutes here. So what I'd like to do is to let you talk a little bit about the um, focus on the family and how we, how you are working within our society and working with government and working with us and how, how your role is. That, that's very kind of you. You know, uh, the, 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 the whole idea uh, of a Christian in public life uh, begins with the concept, you know, uh, that government is not the church and the church is not government, and praise God for that. You know, this side of eternity and this side of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have a constitution, uh, and that constitution is remarkably commodious for those of us uh, who, are, who are people of faith. In other words, the United States of America uh, was founded by dissenting Protestants. It was founded as a place that was to be a beacon for religious liberty and conscience. And the beautiful thing is that the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, focus on the family. Uh, and I could go on and on. So many other uh, you know, remarkable places uh, work very hard uh, to advance policies uh, you know, in the public arena that are consistent with our faith. And where, uh, you know, where the Bible is silent on public policy, uh, you know, it's not an area that we're called to be in. But when it comes to the issue of, of religious liberty and conscience, when it comes to the issue of, of, uh, of human life, when it comes to the question of what is a family and what is a marriage, uh, and what are our obligations, uh, you know, regarding public policy in that regard, Kip, the beautiful thing is that, uh, that we have, uh, by God's grace alone, a government that is constituted uh, to be to be open to our impact and to be open uh, to the shaping of public policy. So I think we are called, you know, to faith and freedom and family. Uh, we're called to to remind uh, our fellow citizens that our values don't change, that we believe in virtue, and we believe that that moral uh, excellence is the other side of liberty, uh, and and because faith and freedom matter. And we are, to your point, Kip, we are in a war of ideas, and that war of ideas is never fully won. Uh, so our first freedom is freedom of religion. We have to defend our faith, but always understanding that, uh, that, that faith and freedom matter. And, uh, and this country uh, is very open and very welcoming of men and women like those in the Missouri Senate. Thank you very much. Uh, you've been listening to Tim Gigline, who is a focus on the family and is our Washington Observer. And I'm Kip Allen. And you've been listening to Free to Be Faithful, which is a presentation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. It's a presentation uh, it's a religious liberty education and awareness program. Now, Free to Be Faithful airs the third Monday of every month. Today's guest was Mr. Tim Gigline of Focus on the Family. I'm your host for the program. My name is Kip Allen, wishing you all God's blessing. Thank you.